It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Here we are together again. It is the program that provides a unique conversation in sports, that cross-section, that confluence. Yes, we have games, but most importantly, we have people. And uh, on this day, it's really important uh, that we pause and respect uh, a true great American. One, Kirk, who transitioned right in front of our eyes. Yeah. Um, and that's the, uh, the recently departed Colin Powell, who uh, has no rival as it pertains to service of this country, um, first in military, then as a high-ranking civilian, um, one of the highest, right? Yeah. Uh, Secretary <laughs> of State. Um, I want to work backwards from that particular role. Sure. Because there's sure. a lot of people, including um, the 45th president of the United States, um, who are absolutely disgraceful in their presentation um, in death. For people that want to go find out what uh, defeated President Trump uh, had to say about uh, General Powell, that's on your time. Right. I'm just acknowledging, acknowledging a, a, a point in a position where people can grow. Yeah. Um, from my recollection and the historical record, um, at that point, Secretary Powell mm-hmm. did everything he could in his power. And by the way, he was not running defense at the You're time. Right. Um, to hold the hawks back, for lack of a better term. Um, Here he is, the true military mind in that administration, um, serving our country around the world. And in the space of weapons of mass destruction, did not see the things that were being portrayed as what was sitting in, in Iraq. And then did his job. Mm -hmm. The job is to serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. Um, For those of us that apparently have jobs in which you get to do what you want to (laughs) do, it's easy to throw rocks at that house. Uh, But as an understanding of someone who lived his entire life pre-Vietnam, into Vietnam, into a new age of military might, um, and then transition into civilian service. Um, I'm imagining he knows how to put down the coral, right? Mm -hmm. The issue he may have with the decision and then just do your job. Now he did sit in a space with the world watching in the UN and serve as the presenter of the position of the United States government that has since been proven not to be as it was presented. And he has spoken on that and had great remorse for that. that that's my recollection of yeah. that. That doesn't bring back any of the people. That doesn't bring back any of the unrest 
that still exists to this day um, that led to wars and spaces that had nothing to do with that specific issue. Um, he has taken that with him to his grave. Uh, but for some of the things that have been said, it's been super disappointing. I hope that, you know, in our time here, uh, that we can honor a man who gave his entire adult life to this nation. You know, I think, and I'm, I'm glad you, you said, you know, well, let's, let's uh, rewind, right? Let's go from the beginning. You know what I mean? Um, I thought that was huge because from what I knew of, of Colin Powell, that name for me, it, it really st stuck out. He, for me, was the, the, the first man of color that I saw in the Oval Office. He was the man of color in, in, when it came to our government, our U.S. government. Think about it. Growing up, um, uh, everything was, you know, the presidents that we had from the Bushes to the Clintons, all of that. There, there was no other face that we saw. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, who was that? He stuck out to me, <laughs> to a young me. You're just saying, wow, okay, what, is, what does he do? And then you learned of the, the titles that he held. But I think also, too, Jax, he was born in New York City. Like, he was from the Bronx. You know what I mean? Like, he was, he was, one, of, he was one of, I know our producer, Pernell Brown, getting all excited right now as we're talking about <laughs> this. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? He was from the Bronx. He went to the New York City public schools. And to see where he started, into where he finished, to where he got to, he was sort of an American dream for a lot of folks. I mean, it was surprising for me, Jax, that, you know, guys who I know personally never really talk politics, but in the passing of Colin Powell, definitely pay their respects. And I was like, man, I didn't even know you follow politics like that. But he said, nah, man, like, that dude was different, man. That guy got me involved in politics, not directly by saying, hey, you need to follow what's going on in your country. But because he was involved, many would say, man, you know what? I would love to see what he does and how he does it and where he came from and how he got to that point. So he became sort of this lightning rod for, I think, African-Americans, young African-Americans to say, you can strive to be. He was, and I don't, hopefully this is, that doesn't sound too crazy, but he was sort of the Obama before Obama. It's like, a great way to put it. Yeah. So, I mean, of aspiration and seeing somebody in a place where you correct. don't see that, that African-American face, right? We're talking about high-ranking officials in our country. Now, we know Obama got to be the highest-ranking official. Right. Um, and, but Colin well, let's Powell, run it real quick, Kirk. This man was yes. a national security advisor. Correct. He was the secretary of state. And he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, that, like that's the general of the generals. You know what right. I mean? Like it's that's so. Something. When you're talking about high-ranking officials, I think that right. he did give you know children, kids of color, African American young men, something to dream about, something to aspire yeah. to be, something to say, hey, yeah, you can be a part of politics. You can be a part of the White House. You can be head of the uh, Secretary of State, you can, you can be a part of the head military official. There were so many things in which I saw from him that I was like, okay, like that name, Colin Powell, you're like, whoa, it, it sounded, you know, and for me, he always looked like he was like one of my grandpas or something that you just had this wealth of information and it would just sit down and just talk with you. But I think that's where, when you talked about rewinding, I think that's where I first started to understand who he was, where he came from, but what he inspired so many young people to be able to have that, that thought 
that that belief that they can also get to a high ranking spot in the Oval Office. Yeah, thirty five years in the Army, uh, he embodied what was available to black folks, people of color, right? Um, as they were climbing in the military after World War II. Um, just a word about his death, and I want to talk about his view in life. Uh, his cause of death was complications connected to COVID. Correct. Um, he had been vaccinated. He gives us a great lesson in death, by the way. He was due to receive his booster shot um, for his vaccine last week, but had to postpone it when he wasn't feeling well. So message again, when it's time for your booster. And I just recently saw that I'm a, I'm a Moderna guy. Me too. That, yeah. that, that our boosters are coming, Kirk. They're coming. I'm waiting. So I'm we're waiting. not hesitating, right? Like right. We, oh. We jump in and we get that done as soon as it's available to us. And I think they're, they're dropping the age, the age down to 40 uh, in the next couple of weeks. I saw a note on that coming. So that includes us. Let's go get yep. it. Yep. We'll go, go get jump it. on it. Absolutely. Um, so, um, and he was moving into the early stages of Parkinson's, by the way. Right. Um, I Obviously, not, I don't think anyone was aware of that. I'm not sure. I, I know I wasn't, but... Uh, there were there were some underlying issues there. Yeah, yeah. That, that regardless of being eighty four, right? Yeah, you know, and that, that's the hard part for me in in his death is that I've I've always, you know, from what I've known for him, a very honorable man, a guy that, you know, when you, if you knew him, um, you felt like a better a better person. And in the recent days of seeing people say, "Oh, see, he died of COVID. He was vaccinated." The anti vaxxers and look, I get it. Everybody has their own preference. But don't say that. See, this is the reason why you shouldn't. Um, this guy had, you know, complications from other underlying issues. It could happen to anyone. But he did protect himself. Who knows if he didn't get vaccinated? How long he would have been able right. to continue going? We don't know that. So th that's the part that's really upset me is that there's many people in the medical world or the non-medical people. The anti-vaxxers trying to use this as sort of a, uh, you know, a, a headline for people uh, to fight against being vaccinated. Let's go back to 1937 when he was born. You painted the picture of where, um, but the classic nature of this American story has to be backdropped by the fact that he was dropped right in the middle of Jim Crow America. Yeah. Um, separate but equal was coming down the avenue. We know it was separate and unequal. And then the civil rights fight is happening while he's fighting, right? Mm -hmm. and, and leading in Vietnam. Imagine that, right? Imagine the struggle and difficulty of so many brown and black faces, uh, First Nation faces mm -hmm. that serve this nation from that point backward. Um, all the while catching hell at home. Like, I, I think people forget about that level of sacrifice. We've talked about military sacrifice off the charts, right? We, right. There, but there might not be one more combining mentality of the American citizen, but paying homage to those who serve, and then while they're serving, pay the ultimate price. But think about those people fighting for everything that is written in the documents we hold dear, and the majority of that not applying to you. Yeah, that, that's still one of this country's uh, black eyes, right? You know, that you can't get past that, that the, 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 
we're all fighting as one, as one family. And you're saying, hey, we're fighting for the USA, but you're also fighting for equality. And yet when we get done fighting as one, as a unit, when we go our separate ways, I'm still not considered, I'm still considered what was it, a fourth of a man <laughs> compared to what you may be. I'm still considered, you know, a second class citizen and not a first class. Citizen. I still can't dine with you. We, we can go dine over here in the military possibly, but we can't, we can't dine together when we get out of this. When we, when we go back to our respective homes, it's still separated. Unreal, man. That's, that's the part that, you know, he had to endure that instead still find his way to fight to where he was able to finish it too. Think about being one of the most popular people in America in, in the early nineties as he yeah. was leading us through that mess uh, on the ground, right. In, in leadership. And he's still making that transition. And a lot of people probably recognize where his politic political, um, navigation turned, right? You know, probably as Obama ran and won twice, and then definitely publicly when uh, the Grand Old Party selected its standard bearer in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, making that move um, toward uh, the left. Yeah. Um, but man, oh man, what could have it would have been if the powers that be could court him? to have run for president of the United States. He knew what it, he knew his limitations. He knew what he wanted to be a part of. Um, but this nation hadn't had a political general since Dwight D. Eisenhower. And uh, that man, Colin Powell, could have been and would have been capable and probably awesome at it. I'll, I'll leave it with this and then we'll take our first break. Um, I was sitting with uh, the great Patrick James Riley. Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, <laughs> as we taped this on Wednesday. And right. he said the key component to leadership is solving problems. Correct. And here's what Colin Powell said about himself in 2007. New York Times article I found. Powell is a problem solver. Boom, right off the top, right? Mm -hmm. He was taught as a soldier to solve problems. So he has views, but he's not in ideologue. He has passion, but he's not a fanatic. He's first and foremost a problem solver. We could use a few more of those, right? We could use a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> come on. Like, let my cup run over with those. Yeah, yeah. I see. I, I do see one more quote, man. I got to get in there. Oh, get, come on, man. Break. Yeah. Join the party. Yes, sir. Um, because in his autobiography, he supported affirmative action. And you know, affirmative action was a big thing, we know, mm -hmm. in, in the 90s and early 2000s. But he, he quoted and said, affirmative action, I'm, I'm all, I support that as long as it levels the playing field without giving a leg up to undeserving persons mm. because of racial issues. What about that? You know, we all deserve, you know, that, that's what affirmative action was. Right. Was giving everybody an opportunity. If you can compete, if you can yes. do it, don't have that door slammed in your face. Something else, yes. my man. Uh, let's take a quick break. Um, a little bit later in the program, some solid HBCU news. We'll always have it right here on yeah. Forward Progress when we have it. But first, uh, NBA Chief People and Inclusion Officer Or Stewart will join us in great programming 
coming from the association, which, as we tape this, has already opened. Mm-hmm. For your boy, I got Thursday night. So yeah. <laughs> with the champs in the house, with them brand new rings that turned into pendants. Yeah. Uh, they outdid us all. That's what happens. Yeah. The next ring is always better. The yeah. 74th edition of the NBA champs uh, will be in paradise. Uh, we'll talk with uh, or Stewart of the NBA. When we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morris and it's Jackson, and we welcome Or Stewart to the program. He is the NBA's Chief People and Inclusion Officer. Uh, Oris, first tell us your responsibilities with those uh, wonderful phrases that we've all come to learn, human capital now being something that's a forefront of the league and the teams that are a part of this association. Well, sure. First of all, pleasure to be uh, joining you for this conversation. My role and that of my team encompasses, number one, making sure we at the the NBA League office and across our teams have the best talent available to us uh, in whatever discipline, you know, we need. And so, so that's priority number one. And then priority number two is making sure that that talent that's in our organization has the ability to uh, do, deliver their uh, their work and their best effort in the most inclusive environment to do to do their best work and to be in a setting where you know they can bring their whole selves uh, to to the work to the workplace. So so primarily that's that's the role that I play. So now in your role, what what seems to be the, the excitement that brings you to work every day? Because there's got to be something. There may be a challenge or there may be something that excites you every morning you wake up because I want to get better at this. I want to get so this person involved in this. What What is that feeling for you as you wake up every morning? I, I got to tell you, the, uh, the fact that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion have become so central to how we run our business to our ambitions to grow the game globally. Uh, these are topics that are uh, on the minds and the lips of, of, of everyone, you know, wherever you are in this country, in this world. Uh, but, but they are very much active topics in what we do every day. And so to, to have our organization recognize that we're going to grow our game, we're going to grow our business, we're going to deliver the, to the expectations and ambitions of our fans by making sure we are thoughtful about how we do what we do, how we represent our fans and every aspect of the game to know that that is baked into kind of our core values and, and how we show up every day is what gets me excited about working at, at a place like the NBA. And just to, to also think that uh, and reflect on the fact that, you know, our, our fans are, are so excited about the game and, and all that it offers and the, the new aspects of the game. The WNBA is growing. Uh, the NBA 2K is growing. And, of course, we just launched the Basketball Africa League uh, earlier this year. And so just to realize that, you know, we are in a unique position in the world to bring people together in celebration of this game that is so inclusive that everyone can enjoy and and to be uh to be in the middle of that process and working along with some amazing colleagues uh it, it's uh, it's pretty exciting 
Horace Stewart is the NBA's chief people and inclusion officer with us here on Forward Progress. We're so glad to have him with us. Uh, last week, I saw the email. It popped right into my heat.com <laughs> space. A wonderful announcement of this relationship that you have as a league now with LegalZoom uh, entitled Fast Break for Small Business, a first of its kind program that will provide both grants and legal and business service uh, that small businesses need to operate and grow. But there's a specific part of this program I'm assuming you're super proud of. Won't you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to the point I just made, you know, about us uh, really ha- making a difference with through our game uh, in the world, in the communities that mean so much to us. This new partnership, Fast Break for Small Business, is, ex- is an example of that, of that coming to life in, in full measure. And so the fact that in partnership with LegalZoom, you know, we are uh, giving grants to uh, small businesses that are in need and can take great advantage of those resources that we are not only providing financial capital support, but also technical and legal support and focused on businesses that are coming from underrepresented communities. I mean, that's really what this is about. This is about lifting up the communities that celebrate our game, that provide our players that provide our employees and that uh, are, are so much a part of our entire ecosystem. So thrilled that this partnership has come to life, thrilled that we're going to be able to touch uh, not only the organizations that will be beneficiaries, but touch in, in turn the communities that they're a part of. So it, it is, you know, to the point I made earlier, one of the things that excites me about uh, coming to work every day. You know, I think one of the things that I read in the press release too, Horace, is that being able to help out people in the black and Hispanic communities that have small businesses that we've seen through the pandemic um, were hurt by, uh, didn't get or receive a lot of the grants and aid that maybe some of the other more prominent businesses may have got. And so when you do have a situation where banks don't want to loan some of these small businesses uh, in, in certain communities, they don't want to help. They don't want to offer that same sort of assistance and you're now able to help these people. How, how, does that, how does that work? How does that get more and more people involved and excited to, to be able to be a part of this program that really was not available for a lot of people and some didn't even know about it? No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's, let's be clear. Historically, Black-owned businesses, Hispanic-owned, Hispanic-owned businesses, businesses run by other underrepresented minorities and by women, are undercapitalized, under-resourced, simply put, under-supported. And so all of that's the history. And then you enter the pandemic. And so it uh, th- things just got, you know, worse for those organizations. And so, you know, th- this type of, of uh, contribution to their success is, uh, is, is an example of the kind of thing that we can do in partnership with LegalZoom that uh, that we think can make a difference. So one, it, uh, it it will, as I mentioned earlier, provide capital assistance that's just not as readily available to these right. businesses. Two, it'll provide other technical resources, legal consultation, other business support, mentorship support through the MBA Foundation. I mean, we're we're doing our best to provide you know a wraparound support uh, for these organizations because we know uh, they are uh, capable, 
Uh, they are doing good work. They employ you know, lots of people in our communities and, and, and they need the support. They deserve the support. So uh, you, you, you make an incredibly important point that they uh, have not had the same level of access. And so we want to do our best to step in the gap. Or Stewart from the NBA with us here on Forward Progress. I want to give you the opportunity uh, to pound your chest, if you if you don't mind, about <laughs> what your office had to be high-fiving. And from my perspective, it was the hiring of coaches this year. Uh, seven of the eight open positions were filled by men who look very much like the rosters. I, I saw the note the other day of the 100-plus players, once again, that are from places around the world with different hues and different languages. But in the end, this is a predominant, whatever is beyond predominant, uh, <laughs> black league as it pertains to yeah. uh, the, the men who work on the hardwood. Uh, this is off the charts by any measure. Yeah, it's, it's uh, something to be really excited about. We're certainly encouraged. But, uh, you know, I would say it's, it's much less about what we have done at the league and much more about what these individuals have done in preparing for these unique opportunities, right? They are qualified. They are uh, elite performers in terms of their coaching discipline, and, and they're getting the opportunity that they've worked for, worked hard for, and that they deserve. And so that's what I'm excited about, that, that uh, we, our teams, our league, uh, have are supporting a process of inclusive opportunity, and that's really all anyone has ever asked for, and that's all you know, and, and that's what our, our 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 people deserve. And so, to your and to your point, if I could just make a, a finer point about you know the percentages, our league is predominantly black. In fact, seventy five percent approximately of our players on the court uh, are black. Um, but you know, I, I consider. A, a better measure of our head coaches, really, what does that pipeline of, of assistant coaches look like, right? Because it's not so much our players. All of our players aren't necessarily interested in, in pursuing coaching at the end of their careers. But we do have a robust pipeline of assistant coaches that approaches 50%. And so when you're in a situation like we're in now at the league where half of our coaches are men of color, and uh, that reflects the percentage of coaches of color in the assistant coaching ranks, uh, in the lead positions. And so when you see that kind of outcome that really reflects the pipeline, then, you know, you can feel good that the process is becoming, you know, more, uh, more inclusive and hopefully, you know, more sustainable. Well, I don't want to just limit it to the uh, NBA too, Horace, right? I'm just thinking about what happened this week and James Wade, the head coach of the Chicago Sky and being an African-American coach and now the, uh, you know, a, a champion uh, as yeah. a head coach, you know, it just it just goes to show you the pipeline of coaches. And I was going back to James Wade's uh, press conference after winning uh, the WNBA title. And he said, you know, some coaches don't always look the same, you know, I, I want to be able to give kids the opportunity that it's okay sometimes you may have your hat on backwards but it's how you reach your children it's how you reach your players it's how you reach your community so it may not look like what other people want but i feel like the nba is giving everyone an opportunity to understand that great teachers don't always look the same there's always there can be some difference as well there certainly can and you really are making uh, such a critical uh, and important point uh, and I'll just go back to your your first question, Jason. You know what what gets me excited about coming to work every day, and it, it really is a recognition that the future of our game, the future of our business, is diverse. 
because our fans are diverse, because our communities we represent are diverse, our players are diverse. And so we've got to have that diversity reflected in every aspect of our business. And it doesn't look the same. And the, the challenge, the, the challenges we have to grow our business and to grow our game require that diversity, require fresh thinking, require different perspectives. People coming from backgrounds like myself. I grew up in West Philadelphia. You know, I wore my hat backwards <laughs> <laughs> from, from time to time, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, being able to celebrate the fact that genius and excellence and high performance looks comes in lots of different forms and to celebrate that and to welcome that is really what we're all about. And and it's through that commitment that we're going to continue to grow. We're going to not only survive, but thrive. And, you know, we, we always say we're, we're happy to celebrate our 75th season, of course, to W's 25th season, but what got us here is not what's going to get us there. And so being, you know, vigilant on, seeking out those differences that you spoke of is uh, is really important to us. Morris Stewart with us here on Forward Progress. What has been the, the work forward for the teams? There's one thing to have a central idea in the hub in the office in New York. Um, I tend to know the inner workings of one franchise, <laughs> the tip of Florida a little bit. And the thing that I'm loving about the work that we're doing with the Miami Heat is really changing the way that we do business inside and outside. The initiatives that we have for underrepresented people inside the organization is magnificent. And the pledge that we have that was renewed again when we had our, our first together kickoff for the first yep. time in 19 months of the season is reminding everyone of the businesses we will be doing business with locally and making right. sure that um, minority-owned businesses um, are part of our business structure as an organization. 100%. Is that being woven throughout the league right now? Absolutely. It, yeah. Absolutely. You know, of course, the, the legal Zoom NBA partnership reflects that at a, at a national level, but that's also playing out at, uh, at, at, at every market where we, we, uh, we operate. And it's a recognition that uh, we as a league, and our teams are going to be stronger if our communities are stronger and our communities are going to be stronger if the businesses that come out of those communities are stronger. And so, you know, we, we're going to be more competitive if we are seeking and engaging and supporting a diverse range of businesses. And so this is something that we have been focused on for many years, call it 20 plus years at the NBA. And, and our teams are, are not only focused on it, but they're diving deep on it, building new relationships, you know, making, uh, making uh, a outreach to these uh, diverse businesses a part of their strategy. And, and I would frame it this way. This is about economic inclusion. And economic inclusion, you know, creates great outcomes for everyone involved in the process. So we're trying to create a, a virtuous cycle of support that helps our businesses, helps our communities, and in terms helps our franchise. You know, Horace, I know you and what you're doing. I think Adam Silver has been a big in, in, in terms of making sure he's appointing the right folks and everybody yeah. is all in on this. But we learned, obviously, in 2020 that some people feel like the NBA, some of the major sport, sports leagues aren't doing enough. What do you say to them and what the NBA is doing and what people don't dive in or do the research to understand what's been going on behind the scenes and how this thing is moving in the right direction? Well, I, I, I'm encouraged by our efforts and, and, and equally encouraged by the outcomes 
uh, so far, but we're not doing enough, right? There's more we can do and there's more we have to do. We've got to, first of all, get better at representing the diversity of the communities that we serve at all levels of our business. Uh, We've got to um, make these sustainable practices so that these aren't just blips, you know, and, and just, you know, cycles that go up and go down, but that this is core to who we are. Um, we've got to, you know, understand the the power and impact of uh, of these efforts so that they they get baked in. You know, I, we we need to continue to see the light and pursue it so we don't end up feeling the heat of not doing the right thing. And so uh, I I I want our fans, I want the communities, I want them to know we care deeply about you know these issues that we are not missing an opportunity to evaluate what more we can do. But I also, you know, want to uh, recognize that there is more that we can do. And, and we're, you know, we're very active in, um, in finding new ways to contribute and new ways to, to grow in terms of our efforts around inclusion. He is the MBH Chief People and Inclusion Officer, Oris Stewart. Thank you for being with us. Come back anytime. Talk to us about the work that you're doing and things that we need to know. I appreciate you. It's my pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you. you. When we come back, it's news that you can use about HBCUs. Stay right there. Forward Progress continues in a moment. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Kirk, we're always going to keep our eyes locked in on historically um, black colleges and universities as they continue this, this wonderful renaissance in America. And it's really corporate driven. And, and I love that part of it. Uh, Sports uh, 1105 uh, is, has created the HBCU New York Football Classic. Mm-hmm. Morehouse and Howard will get after it. Um, this game will be held annually. Uh, they're going to start next September. I hear they've called and demand that you call it, by the way. I hope so, uh, man. I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> I got a funny feeling this is going to end up on the worldwide leader. So yeah. let's see. I'm sure Fox is going to lean in, but uh, uh, this is awesome. New tradition, uh, kicking off with Howard and Morehouse. So mm. uh, bands get ready. Okay. You need to be in there, you know, making sure it's all in place. Uh, renewing their historic rivalry. Um, which is rich in uh, heritage and tradition, both on and off the field, of course. Uh, the inaugural game is set for uh, mid-September next year. Uh, this is going to be fun, man. Bringing it to the place that never sleeps, America's yeah. largest <laughs> and most populous location, um, which, by the way, doesn't have usually that massive footprint for HBCU. So this is... Uh, you know, bringing the party north a little bit, man. This is going to be awesome with mixers and a gala and pep rally. Got to have the step show, yeah, a pregame show, a fan festival, everything. I mean, bringing it to MetLife Stadium is, is is the big stage. Yeah, even for me, Jackson. Like when I was in the NFL, when you played in New York against the Jets or the Giants, it, it that was the big stage. That yeah. was, you know, the the you know the largest media market in the country. That no matter what, if sports going on in New York, people are going to follow, they're going to watch. But now to bring some extra added attention with two historic you know, programs, two historic universities, HBCUs. When you, and, and hopefully I don't get into too much trouble here because all my HBCU brethren out there. Don't you they, do it. But would you, I mean, 
Howard and Morehouse, man, trust me. If someone said, hey, which the top five HBCUs, is it not Howard and Morehouse in a lot of people's top five? I am I'm I'm uh I, I, I know Central State and uh Tuskegee <laughs> myself, right? It's all family and, and, oriented. And fam you, yeah, and yeah, fam you I get now. you. <laughs> also top three on the list. Thank you, right? But no, but I, I think just with the whole um just added attention for HBCUs and it's been it's been huge now. This is something that um it's just going to bring on more eyeballs. You know, we've talked about it here on this program that, you know, you know, my employer ESPN did a great job to start the season and having a lot of attention um, with the beginning of the year, I, I believe, you know, with Tennessee state and, you know, with Eddie George and the, the attention for Jackson state with Deion Sanders, but it, it was an Alcorn state game. That was so fun to watch on, t- on, on ESPN. It's been great. And, you know, kind of filling into this story a little bit more was, you know, last week I saw Jackson State and I, I, I can't think of who they played against. But we know Deion Sanders is the head coach. Mm-hmm. But to see that Jackson, Mississippi packed in 55,000 fans for a football game, an HBCU football game, it's tradition, it's pageantry. I just want to let you know, 55,000 people, folks, you're not getting that in some of the Power Five conferences right. around college football. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about some of the biggest programs you think, yeah, they only average in 25, they get 30, maybe 40. Now, it looks loud on TV, but it ain't that many people. And just the, just the thought of what HBCUs, I think, are now kind of on the rise. You know, I like what Stephen A. Smith said this week. You know what I mean? Just saying, hey, be on the lookout because you starting to now out have more attendance than the big schools. You you need to figure this out that this HBCU, like this renaissance, I feel like this is part of it. Mm-hmm. Howard and Morehouse is part of it. I think it is because of the pageantry. It is because of the tradition. It is because of the show. Look, I went to a San Diego State University. Yeah, you know, there's tradition in within that. You go to the game, you have the tailgate, you do what that school's tradition is. But I've also pledged Kappa Alpha Psi. I'm part of the, you know, the divine nine. You know what I mean? I I understand the history and tradition that goes into a HBCU football game. That it it's not a it's not just a game. It is an event. And to see now that this event will take place in September 2022, MetLife Stadium, Howard Morehouse, I think we're going to see more of these, Jacks, more of these big oh, yeah. events for the HBCU. Man, listen, there was a promotional item that dropped from the aforementioned Florida A&M um, <laughs> where Pearl, okay. the drum maker, yeah. is now the official drum maker of the Marching 100, of which there are 300 members now, by the way. <laughs> um, and somebody dropped in, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, in the mentions that if a year and a half ago, let's you know, let's just say two years ago, uh, you would say that the university killing marketing more than anyone else in the nation would be an HBCU that you know they they wouldn't have believed you, but you think about the deal that they have with apparel with Nike slash LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Uh, young Jordan, very happy to get his kit this week. Um, number two, which is his favorite number, not available. So he was thrilled to show his father that number 32 
will be his number this first okay. year uh, in homage to Irvin Magic. Magic. Johnson. Yeah. I love it. I and love so it. Uh, that, along with so many corporate partnerships, uh, the leading edge of real impact and real uh, dollars um, is, is absolutely here. And I hope that it continues. And one thing that we're talking about in this and in, in, in the very next news that we'll have um, is, you know, these things aren't flashes in the pan. These are long lasting partnerships. The renewal of things that have been gone, like the Orange Boston Classic had been away for 37 years, mm. returned this year in South Florida. And then, you know, the adding new things to the schedule. It's fantastic. No, it, it, it's just something to circle your calendar now. You know, get, get your calendar out. You circle these events because I took this is not just a game now. These are events. This this is this is family. This is reunions. This is um, this is this is a lot, man. Like I said, I'm excited for it because if I could attend, I would. And and I appreciate you already throwing my name in the hat to be able to go and and try to <laughs> broadcast this game. But Absolutely. man, I am uh, you know. Honestly, you, you get excited for the opportunity that people now see a vision, a vision in front that you know, the HBCU is drawing a lot of attention, that is drawing a lot of people to come together and understand that moving forward, this is the best for a lot of folks, man. HBCU sports, I'm excited to see them start to have this renaissance, this, this new reinvigoration of, of having people just to really buy in to... It's all sports, it's all love, but man, it's also an event. So I'll go along with that news. We also learned last week that the HBCU Legacy Bowl announced a new multi-year partnership with Jameis Winston. Now, yeah. he and his Dream Forever Foundation were already you know, doing some things. They supported uh, HBCUs through donations to Miles College. I believe that was 100 grand. Mm -hmm. They supported their football program as well as a donation uh, to the HBCU Baseball Classic. We know uh, that Jameis played both sports at Florida State. Right. Um, and Lord knows I would not want to see him coming out the bullpen back in the day. <laughs> uh, that would have been the end of my, 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 my desire to dig in. But um, this is just really cool. He noted that he's so proud and honored to continue to support historically black colleges and universities through the Legacy Bowl. Uh, that game is special. It's played right there in New Orleans where he lives and works. It's about providing opportunities for others. Uh, so kudos to him. No, man, uh, just, you know, obviously, it, the one thing I, I can say this, Jax, is you, you get that sense of pride being in an NFL locker room, especially for guys who played at the HBCU. You know what I mean? Um, guys who, you know, you know, we, we talking about Alabama and, and, and Auburn and Georgia and all, the, you know, the, the, the big football programs and, but then you hear guys who went to, you know, an HBCU and their experience and you're like, man, whoa, <laughs> that sounds, uh, I, I would have loved to have been a part of that. And so I think that with Jameis also as well, you, you just have this heightened sense of awareness, heightened sense of understanding that I mentioned those events, legacy bowls and, 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 yeah. you know, I mean, I, I've only been to the, uh, the uh, the classic right uh, down in New Orleans, you know. <laughs> I've only been to the Bayou once, man. But I had such an amazing time. Yeah. I had such an amazing time being around people who I didn't know, but yet you walked away feeling like family. 
And I think that's the where Jameis um, probably has a good sense of that. And being in that community, in that area that I didn't necessarily go to that particular school, but I always mm-hmm. felt like I was an extension of that family. Right. And I think this is huge for him and, and, you know, what he's been able to do. Well, this is something that is so important. Uh, the Legacy Bowl, for folks that don't know, uh, it's presented by the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, it's a postseason all-star game. So the top 100 NFL draft eligible football players from historically black college and universities will be there. This is a job interview. It is. Big job yeah, interview. This is, you know, very similar to the Senior Bowl, but, but specifically for an underrepresented space where a lot of invitations don't find their way. Uh, to the Senior Bowl. So uh, this is going to be broadcast live on NFL Network. Uh, this is just it's awesome. And it, it, it's always going to be more, right? Right. You utilize the platform as a celebration of culture and history um, to provide this unprecedented, invaluable exposure to these student-athletes. Yeah. It's a week-long celebration yeah. for, for the season. Um, it's actually on my 40th birthday, by the way. Too. Well, let's, let's give it. <laughs> February 19th, 2022. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, a, I think, a uh, it's going to be fun, Jax, to uh, to have this down in New Orleans, uh, Yulman Stadium on, on the campus of Tulane University, um, which I, I love. Great campus, by the way, just nestled inside the New Orleans oh. uh it, uh, it's community. like it's just stuck in a little neighborhood, right? Just a little neighborhood, just yeah. boom, just popped right in on in there. It reminds but, me of the UM, um, yeah. But but they have everything right there, you know. You don't have to separate. <laughs> yeah. uh, the but you got to go through the gates over at Coral Gables. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't been there. I mean, too, they're, they're usually up now. Come on, oh, they're yeah. usually up. Yeah, my uh, uh, great uh, partners <laughs> for this too, by the way. Uh, Kirk, uh, the National yes. Football League is signed off. Correct. Adidas is in the mix. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and his foundation, the Sugar Bowl, Pro Football yeah. Hall of Fame, Riddell, as you noted, Tulane University, uh, Bobby Wagner uh, himself. Yeah. It's man, this is this is what's happening. This is where it's at. All these beautiful stakeholders recognizing how they can do more and be better. Yeah, and to bring people out in the inclusion, bringing everyone involved to, like I said, when you walk away from this, from that week long just celebration. You're walking away like, man, I can't wait till next year. Right. You know, that, that's what the opportunity is here. And I think they'll, they'll succeed with that. And, you know, I'm happy to, for some guys to go out and get the exposure that probably was not there before. But now it's available. You know, I think the NFL realized last year during the draft time that the HBCU really was not represented. And this right. is a great opportunity for those guys, especially for next year's draft, to hear more HBCU names called. We'll be looking forward to it in February in uh, New Orleans. A special thanks to Oris Stewart for coming by. What a great insight into a wonderful partnership, Kirk, right. um, that the NBA has now to impact small business, specifically uh, those uh, that are owned by women uh, and people of color. Um, and uh, listen, just one more time, the, the greatest and deepest condolences to uh, the Powell family. Um, the general served us all well. And so Correct. I hope everyone takes a moment uh, to have just a little bit of reflection over a great American uh, that served at the highest level and to the highest degree. Absolutely. Well said, Jax. Well said. My man. Listen, on behalf of our producer, Pernell Brown, my partner, Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson. 
Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next time.